Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here. Sorry about the bit of the delay. The uh, match, you know, took a heck of a lot out of me with the neck thing. I ended up having to get taped up big time. But I have a bunch of notes to go over. This was such an illuminating match to be able to use equipment like the new Vectronics, the Kestrel, the Garmin, the Lynx, all the stuff. But first, I want to get into my thanks to everybody who attended the Sniper's High Team Challenge in Colville. What a great crowd. What a great group of people. Everybody was having such a blast. I, it was funny. I got there and the weather was like, ugh. It was raining. It was cold. It wasn't really that great. You know, we went out, set everything up. Thursday, Friday ended up kind of turning into this little bit of rainstorm. And Friday night it was pouring out. And it was like, oh, man, this is going to get ugly, right? Well, Saturday when the match came, it was opened up like gorgeous. Like the skies were like, you couldn't ask for better weather. It was perfect both Saturday and Sunday. I want to uh, shout out to my teammate, uh, Trig Visawa there. Dude's a hammer, man. 11 years old or so. He's in fifth grade. He is a friggin' laser, man. Trig the trigger, we were calling him. He was on it. And and it's funny because we're all kind of in this little zone. He has a savage. He's a lefty. So uh, Trig's got a savage, and they were prepping for the match. And something went wrong. Something went down on the rifle. They weren't really happy on the weekend just before with what was going on with Trig's rifle. So they ended up borrowing a rifle. Uh, Kevin, uh, Eric Stroh's partner, let him borrow a lefty bad action and got him up in the go. And I think he had a, a KRG uh, stock on it, 6.5 Creedmoor, just around the 2,900 feet per second. Our dope ended up matching up pretty well. Got some. Le I got lessons learned, man. Um, it's funny with the with the ammo thing. Uh, Chris, who who was in our class, reminded me like three times because I was laughing. I ended up being one stage short of ammo, like completely. I I there was twenty stages in the event. I only had ammo for nineteen of them. And so I ended up borrowing Pete Howell from uh, SIG and stuff. He was in our squad. He shot with Trigvi's dad, Matt. Uh, fun guy. Oh, God. We were having a blast, man. It was hysterical. A lot of Top Gun references. A lot of goofing around. But the last stage, I shot Pete's uh, AT. And uh worked out well. You know, I only missed one round. And it was just because I shot the wrong thing. I I'm looking for the target in the woods. And they're like, it's that white speck. And I ended up shooting, I think, a flower. Then I'm like, oh, the white speck on the ground. And so then I ended up getting it. So I dropped one point on that stage with a borrowed gun. But it was it was pretty funny. But uh, seeing everybody again, great. Eric, Eric is out there, man, um, listening. Thank you. It was fun with him. Yeti, man. Team Yeti Scat is what we were calling ourselves. So uh, with, with uh, Trig and I, you know, being a little shorter than everybody, the, the uh, Carl for uh, setting up the match. It was a perfect mix of hard and easy. You know what I mean? If there's a way to kind of talk about that. It, it was not a give me match. You know, it, there was some definitely some difficult targets in there and, and some things going on. Uh, the loophole stuff shooting through all the holes in the trees. Basically, anywhere you see kind of a cut or a V in a tree or the tree separating one field from another, you can almost guarantee you're going to shoot through. So if we're back in this field and there's a tree line and there's a hole in it that illuminates the other field, 
There was targets in there. So again, kind of critical where you had to set up, you know, really important to get that. What you're looking for is where the RO is. You want to try to get close to them because they're set up in a place where they don't necessarily have to move. But there was stages where they had multiple spotting scopes or, you know, had to move because you're shifting from one area where you can see to another. And the first day there was uh, we did, like I said, we did 20 stages, 10 the first day, 10 the second. The first day we only shot two or three prone stages. Everything was tripod. Now, does that mean there, there might have been a way to find a prone shot? Maybe, but not in the time you were given. You know, they did about a one-minute prep time to kind of move up and see what's going on. And then you had seven minutes for the team to shoot 12 rounds. And every other stage had a handgun component. The handgun was only six rounds, but the time limit didn't change. So some stages... You had that seven minutes for each of you. In the first stage when I went up, you go like, well, seven minutes is a ton of time. We actually just about ran out of time. We, I think we missed like a couple, two or three handgun shots because we, we didn't manage the time because you think seven minutes, what do you got to worry? After that, we really kind of had to pay attention to the timings. And uh, so this is going to end up being multi-part. And because I'm here until Thursday before I go to Alaska. I'm going to knock out as much as this, so you'll probably get stacked up with some of these podcasts a little bit, uh, which you guys like. Y- you know, no no, wor- no worries there. But um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over each one, and just to give you an idea of what some of these topics I got written down, I got, you know, the shout-out for Trig V, again, with the juniors and stuff. We have the junior team from the Junior Shooter Magazine, the kids and all that that were with Travis Woodbury and his crew, Chris and his wife and, and all the guys there, uh, the Burks and, and stuff, the, they came over from Idaho. So we'll talk about the kids shooting. Uh, Vectronics, Philip from Vectronics was there. And, uh, you know, we had two on the line, the one I used and then the, the one he had there for everybody. Kestrel versus Garmin with the devices. I, I carried both the Kestrel and the Garmin Fortrex. Uh, so I have that. The stages that I liked and my breakdown of stages, my lessons learned and my personal issues along with my successes versus failure. So I'm going to talk about that. The overall competition, which I'll go over today, carrying the gear. A lot. I saw a lot of stuff that needs to be fixed on carrying gear, man. I use that Vorn Lynx pack. Perfect. Like I looked at so many people with that Eberly stock packs, man overfilled them they these guys had like the operators or whatever the hell they're called the, i mean the giant ones that are the gun bearers and stuff if you have a pack that big you carry that much stuff and i saw it over and over and it's funny jim i don't know if jim listens or not but jim jim was one of the ones who was kind of beat up last year he's an older guy like myself um you know and it last year with all the walking took the piss out of them and it was tough up the hills and stuff like that well i'm coming around the corner and sitting on a trailer and this year was different we only averaged about four and a half miles a day uh, at least on my garmin on my watch it was four and a half miles a day of walking uh, which is good i mean that's that's a, a respectable and we got rides i think some people were up to the sixes if you didn't get a ride but when we were at a stage and there was a big gap between, we asked the RO to call down to them, and and they gave and gave us a ride. Plus George and Serge and those guys, um, 
helped us out and gave us rides here and there and came back and grabbed us. So we'll talk about that. But yeah, four and a half mile average. I used the Vorn pack. Loved it. Uh, really worked out well for me without having to carry too much. Tripods, man. The, this was a tripod lifer stage, man. It, it was it, Everything was tripods. Shooting through the loopholes in the trees. And then I'm going to get into a little bit of match etiquette with some of the guys. Because there's we get a lot of new shooters, people who've never shot a match before. So I want to talk about match etiquette. So over the course of the next at least minimum of three podcasts that I talk to you guys about, um, we'll definitely be talking some match etiquette. So going into the overall competition, I'll break it down. So Saturday morning we met up. We had to end up herding some cows. They, they moved the cows because it's a working cow farm up there. And this is all natural terrain. You know, I don't think we shot off of and nothing was manufactured. And you know, you're gonna you're 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 down from the crest of a hill, and you go up just far enough to see over the top. And down the other side, there might be a target. If you back up a foot, you can't see it. If you go forward a foot, you're kind of skylined. You know, so it, it's this good breakdown. But uh, the first day, we, we got about a 9.30 start, setting everybody in and moving some of the cows. We found like a group of 30 cows that were hiding down in our backside of a hill. Um, They're probably kind of protecting themselves from the rain, so they had to go on horseback and move them out of the way. About 9.30 start, we got done about 4.30 that afternoon. Again, 10 stages, good mix of movers. I think we had about four or five mover stages out of the 20. Um. You know, again, it was uh, the the RO points the general direction of it and gives a brief. You know, you got four targets. Every stage had four targets, uh, except for this composite stage I'll talk about later. One of the most fun stages, but confusing, had seven statics, and then you kind of switched over and did a mover. But movers have confirmation targets, so you have to shoot the mover confirmation target. That makes sure nobody shoots the hell out of the mover. And then you go over to the mover. So you get every stage was 12 rounds rifle, six rounds handgun for the every other stuff. And, you know, it's amazing what you can do with natural terrain to create the obstacles that people build. You know, like I said, we shot off trees. We shot off uh, some... um, some implementations and fences and, you know, gates and things like that. But mostly you could just, you know, even shooting through barbed wire fences, you had to kind of back up a little bit and line your shots up. So um, think of this as you're cruising through this field and and got the Columbia rivers right below us. The terrain just looks beautiful. I mean, check out the pictures online and, you know, a lot of these, stages as i just mentioned earlier it's there's there's kind of tree lines and wooded areas in between these fields and so any hole or gap we would put a target through it and you know just seeing what lasers worked and what didn't like just as an example i put the vectronics guy philip on the uh long range stage which was 1300 so you had like a six to eight hundred yard targets, target one, like six, then seven, then eight. But then behind that eight, uh, or no, it was seven, I think. It was seven and change because that's where the tree line hit. So they were like 500 to 700 yards, I think. And then behind it was a 1,320 yard target through the trees. 
most lasers can only get like the 730 yards where the trees were. There was another stage that had like trees at 200, a hole, and it was a small box with a 450-yard target behind it. Most lasers couldn't get through that, so guys had to kind of like estimate, okay, that looks about this far behind it. So, you know, th there was a lot of natural things to follow your shot up, follow the lasers up, make sure you're clearing. I know on the second stage, the way it was, they, the, um, the stage got, was accidentally kind of moved over when the, when the RO got put in place, he set the line up just like, probably like three feet off center of where it was supposed to be. But when, you know, Carl set the stage up and let's say you're supposed to be three feet to the left. When the guys dropped the RO off and said, here's your stage and everything, he moved like three feet to the right. Well, we the first couple guys ended up clipping some trees. The 308s would go over, but us with the flat 6.5s were clipping those trees. So that was an interesting kind of deal. And when we talked to Carl after, it was like, oh, he was supposed to be over on this side of that marker. And he went on, you know, basically he was supposed to be on the left side of the marker and he went on the right side of the marker. And that's all it was. The stake was in the ground and he just set up on the wrong side of it. You know, same for everybody. But the first couple people cleared the, cleared the, the branches out of the way. You know, so it was funny. Our first, uh, you know, some really good shooters in the first stages couldn't get past the confirmation target on the mover because those trees were in the way. That's how tight and critical this is. You know, shooting through natural terrain that way. And, and so, no, but, you know, no big deal. It is what it is. That That's the, the roll of the dice, man. But, you know, moving from position to position, it wasn't too bad. It was kind of like a sniper golf. It reminded me of the old ASC quite a bit. Um, me and Trig teamed up. And then, like I said, Pete and Matt, his dad. And then behind us in our squad, we had Eric and, and Kevin and some of the other guys were following in. But we didn't move as a squad. We moved as, in you know, the teams. And, and that made the flow go pretty well, but everybody was caught up in, in so. And then um, the, the fun stage that I mentioned was 15 and 16 were together. And 15 was like a principal, was a guy in red, and then he had a bodyguard next to him. And then he had three other bodyguards, and then there was one guy out. And you had to shoot him in a specific order, almost like... You shoot your main guy, your principal first, the red one. Then you shot the closest bodyguard. Then you moved around counterclockwise, and that took you from closest to farthest of those bodyguards. But then there was a mover that was like a circle, and it had a coyote target, but we called it the dog handler. It was like the dog, you know, the German Shepherd. And so... Shooter one had to do the, the dog target while shooter two went through his um his his uh, PT, uh PSD his uh, security detail and shot those and then you switched and then I had to shoot the security detail and then he shot the dog uh, Trig did but it, the the hole to get through the fence and get through everything and the way the uh terrain was. We were probably only a foot away from each other, like really close, almost like our feet were touching it, depending on how wide your legs were. And so you had one RO talking to him and another RO spotting and talking to me. There was uh, Trigg's dad, Matt, talking and helping him out a little bit because they used the same data and all that. 
and and because I had to shoot mine and then he had to shoot his, we were giving Trig a little bit of help. That close to everybody, the the noise level and the conversation and all of this stuff going on was like it was confusing. It was meant to be that way. When I talked to Carl afterwards, he said he he kind of did it that way on purpose that, you know, to put everybody in. But my unique situation is shooting with Trig actually made it a little bit more confusing because there was an, a third person talking. Then this was the best part. So Mike, 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 he's at mile high working right now. Um, so I had the Pelotors with me because I didn't know who had suppressors and brakes. And Trig actually shot suppressed. I could have went with something lighter. But I just brought the Pelotors and I ran my Bluetooth through and was listening to music here and there and all that. But in that particular stage, you know, you get caught up in the match. You're doing your thing. You're not really paying a lot of attention. You're talking about that stage you shot. Well, I get down. We're doing our prep. We're doing our thing. We're getting it. The clock goes off and all these people are talking. About 30 seconds on the clock into the shoot, I just start. The Pelotor starts counting down to turn off. So the girl comes in and now I'm talking to the RO because I'm, I'm, you know, there's an in and out limit. So you need to know when the dog's in limit and the dog's out of limit because they don't want you shooting it when it's getting ready to make the turn. You know, just kind of because it slows down and and what it's doing, and it's going to spin around. It's a it's a double sided target, so you could shoot it on either side. And so you know, you're listening for him to say inbounds, out of bounds, inbounds, out of bounds, so you can get your shots off. Well, now there's girls going. Your pelotors will shut off in five, four, three, two, and it's like all you know. The last thing I need is somebody telling me another set of numbers. It would be like counting out money and then having somebody just start throwing numbers at you. So that drove me frigging nuts with her in there. I dug the Pelotors. I wore them all weekend. They were comfy. They didn't crush on my head. They didn't mess up with the glasses. So I was really, really into wearing the Pelotors and the music through it was was cool. Um, So no issues there. But man, when I'm in the stage and I got to worry about timings and then because it was a double stage, not only were you shooting the seven on, you know, the, the, the seven shots or whatever it was, six in those, what messed me up, this stage was actually had a negative. Every stage you shot three shots per target, right? Carl comes out of the Marine Corps. He was in when I was in. He was, you know, does all this stuff. So you go one, two, three for three, two, one in points. First round hits three points, second two points, third round one point. But this stage you shot two. So now with all this going on and I started off on the the mover target. And so you're just shooting the mover, shooting the mover. But when I transitioned over and all this information is going on, the first target I shot three times. I ended up getting a negative point because you're only supposed to shoot it twice. So right off the bat, I got a minus two points. And and so after that, I was like, oh, man, it's only supposed to be two shots. So now you're thinking about the order of targets have to be shot. You're you're thinking about the number of shots. You're transitioning. And then you got to get up and shoot the pistol target, too. You know, so it's like mover, principal, pistol. And you got to think. You got numbers. And, you know, it's range, find. And they're just off enough 
I ended up, I was okay to shoot all of them from one dope. I think I might have changed it a little like my hold. But they were just off enough that you had to make small adjustments. You know, they weren't so wide. It wasn't like the principal was at 600 and then one of the bodyguards was at, you know, 400. It was like, you know, it was. I think it was like 650 to 670 were the differences in the range. Just enough you wanted to pull a click off or hold a little low or hold a little high, but not enough you had to go and, and really kind of come out of the zone. But you still had to keep in mind, my dope set for the guy in the middle, I'm shooting the guy closer, I better hold a little down. The guy in the back, I better hold a little light. Okay, I'm going to dial point of aim, point of impact, because those coyote targets, they're good for movers in horizontally. They're long, but they're narrow, so your elevation's got to be right. So there's that kind of deal with, with those. And, and so that, that was a super fun but chaotic stage for me. And it really kind of got into the point of, um, what do you call it? Uh, you know, managing your, your data and your information. I went, I didn't wear my, my I wore my arm bar with the downrange system, dope system. And I will tell you right now, you need the grease pencil and a plain board and all that. You got to write stuff down. Trying to depend on electronics in this match was difficult at best in a lot of ways. And when I get into the electronics, I'm going to talk about that. Um, I would just say I, I, turn, I ended up turning the Bluetooth connection to my Kestrel off. And I'll talk about that in another one. So I'm just going to tease you on that. But... The Vectronics did range every single target that I tried. I had no problem, no, no issues in ranging, but there was a slight hiccup in communication with the Kestrel. And in the middle of a stage, you know, because here's the thing, you may see the target, you may, you know, you could see some from the naked eye, some you can't, but they, you, you have to range and do everything on the clock. And so trying to manage electronics and trying to go so that downrange system, even with the um the Bluetooth, you know, with the the NFC connection, too slow. There's no way to range a target, type in the stuff to your phone, and then upload the board. It just doesn't work. You have to do the PRS match booklet thing. That downrange system will only work if you get the match booklet stuff the day before, or you just put a dope card into it. So. A, you know, a lot of targets were, the, the shortest target was right around 300. The longest target was 1320. The average range was between five and 700 yards. Now, what you can do is you can say four, 425, 450, but because of these odd ranges and stuff, you really needed that 25-yard increment breakdown. At least I think you do, because there were places where the targets were small enough where if you just tried to wing it, you're probably not going to hit it, you know. Uh, so um, you wanted that breakdown. So I use the range cards a lot, but you want the 25-yard breakdown and you got to scroll through. Now in the DRS arm bar, if you can go like 400 to 725-yard range increments and you'd have to do it portrait mode, that would work. That you could just say, okay, that's that far. What worked really well is because Pete works for SIG, you, having the dope in the laser for the SIG. His SIG worked really well all weekend. There was a lot of times I used some of the numbers he had because 
they they matched up for Trig. Trig had the, his dad in what Pete were doing matched Trig's data. So most of the time, because they were team one and we were team twenty two, because two was Eric. Um, I took over Nick, and so one team didn't show up. I just took over their number because they had Trig and his dad in the in the shooter list. So we switched Trig for Pete, and then I jumped in on another squad number. So I was squad twenty two. Um, so they shot first, and we shot after them in, in that. But with the Sig laser. Going in, shooting the first target, and it's saying 1.2 mil. If you just scratch 1.2, then, you know, 2.4, then 2.4, because it's giving you your dope. That worked out really well for those guys efficiency-wise. Find it, range it, engage it. By it giving you your dope and not having to take your range and then look at the dope worked out really, really well. So um, definitely props on the SIG laser rangefinder, the Kestrel AB24. Um, the kilo uh, AB2400, it, it, it was it was efficient. And then all you had to have was a grease pencil in your arm bar with plane. Then you could just write, because four targets, all you had to worry about, 1, 1. 1.2, 2.4, 2.8, 3.2, and you're good. And then that's all you had to know, right? Less information is in a lot of ways more efficient and better. And so I think that worked out really well. Now, because Trig had some data from his parent, you know, from Matt, and not every stage. Sometimes we were separated. On the first day especially, I was ranging everything, and then Trig was using his data. On the second day when we were a lot closer together, it was just as easy just to grab, like, his arm bar and use it. Like, I shot, and I'll talk about that story, funny kind of thing, but um, I shot Pete Howell's rifle on the very last stage, and he just gave me his arm bar. You know, so it was it was pretty easy to do it that way. But I ranged everything. Then I ran my data and I scrolled through the Kestrel or the Garmin. I, I went back and forth with both. I put in the range card up on the Garmin. I was in quick edit mode. The nice thing I liked about the Garmin is if I went into quick edit mode and just left the range highlighted, I can just scroll it up and leave it there and it still gave you the data. It's a little slower than some of the other stuff. Both the Kestrel and the Garmin have slowed down given data, but not in such a negative way. But if you're worried about timings and things, and again, PRS, NRL, most of the time you don't have to sweat it. They give you a match booklet. They're giving you the range. So you're not ranging on the clock. With us ranging on the clock, it made a big difference. So it, it, it's something that you, 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 have, to, uh, you, you have to look at time-wise um because that's just how that that stuff worked out um with the timings the anvil 30 the anvil head 30 i did the re retrofit kit for i think mile high says it for like 400 bucks um fantastic i even like i wasn't sure how i was going to feel about it panning with the movers i had no problem with it with the mover you're, you're going to be on that lever you're going to be playing that lever quite a bit and you can't just like loosen the pan feature a little bit and rotate with it it's lock or unlock you know what i mean you can adjust how much tension but you're really not going to have it in a middle ground and steer the rifle you're better off going that extra half an inch or so and locking it but you you're, you're kind of moving it half inch forward half inch back half inch forward half inch back but you're you're, you're controlling it with the support hand it uh, i like i said the second day 
I was lights out and on fire. The first day I tried taping my neck up myself with the KT tape, didn't work. It was complete. I was in, I was in mega, mega pain the first day. I, I, I got back. I had to actually jet out of there and get back and get cleaned up. Um, it, it was really, really painful. But then I had Serge who shoots um, with George. I showered up and we had a barbecue at the hotel at uh, Uncle Benny's there. Everybody, we had a couple tables put together, hamburgers, hot dogs. They had uh, shrimp jalapeno poppers. We wrapped in bacon, you know, food, drink, telling lies, all stories and things like that. Well, I had them probably about six strips of KT tape, but I had to put myself in a specific position. That made a huge amount of difference for me um, on the second day. My second day was really good. My first day, I fell apart pretty bad because of the pain level. Um, and mainly, it's carrying stuff. Shooting's not the problem. It's mainly carrying what was going, you know, what we had. But uh, the, that Vorn pack was just money. Uh, man, that Vorn pack was super comfy. It doesn't throw the rifle off balance. A lot of people felt that the rifle would be off balance because it's slightly out to the side. But the way the scope goes inside, you don't have an issue with it. The balance was perfect. Um, they really did it right with the Vorn pack. Uh, and I'm using the links again, and it's small. You don't need to carry the kitchen sink, man. My, wee, my, my one wee bag bag I had... I should have brought the Trouse longer one. I actually could have used my longer one, but the way my luggage was, I didn't quite bring it. I could have stuffed it in, but I didn't. I brought the small one. But then I brought the tab gear that was the air filled. That worked out perfect for me. So I went as light as possible just because of my neck and shoulder. And that really helped. And like I said, I came away from the second day being taped up. Everybody's asking because the tape's going up the back of my neck. You know, so you see this big thing of black KT tape all on my, my neck and coming down through my shirt. So they're like, what is that? And I'm like, no, it's to tape. My neck screwed up. And even today, my, my neck hurts a lot. Um, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in like kind of pain mode today uh, too. Um, I, I could really use to go across the street to physical therapy. And I may end up going before I go to Alaska because it, it, it does not feel good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be tens uniting it up big time. And uh. So, uh, there, that really helped out in, in, in limiting my movement that way, but I carried everything. Oh, before I get going, congrats to Clint, Adam, uh, uh, who's it? Some of the other guys, uh, well, you can get the thing, but Clint and Adam won it. They, they were, you know, house of fire. They were probably double our points. We, we gained points from Saturday to Sunday, which was good. Once Trig and I got gelled. I think we gained a lot of points. We were on fire on Sunday. We we really, uh, you know, knock on the wood and in the way it does, we could do no wrong on Sunday, and that was a great way to end out the match for us. Saturday we got a little bit of thummy up, you know, trying to figure out how we were going to do things and communicating and and all that way was a bit of a, a pain on on Saturday. It's learn your partner, communicate with your partner. The more you communicate in this kind of match, the better off you are. The more talking between each other you can do. And, and part of it, and, and Matt's dad, or yeah, Matt, Trigvi's dad, Matt, brought it up. I don't know if I kept calling him Matt or Trigvi. I'm sorry if I did. Um, like I said, I'm still recovering mode. You know, airline flights, the whole things, get up. 450 emails coming back to, you know, gee, why can't I post shit for sale? Because you're a douche. 
Um, but anyway, uh, if I know what you're doing and you know what I'm doing, we can correct each other when we can see. Because of that rain, because of the green, the vegetation, you didn't always get a response back from the target. You know what I mean? Even if you missed, and this is where this kind of short-circuited horse people. You know, there's always this, well, what a horse, you can hold over and do this and do that and correct your follow-up shots. Yeah, you could do it any radical there, rocket scientist. You know, if you see it, you can correct it. But what happens when you can't see it? The problem I find with horrors people with this context are they're expecting to see it. And when they don't, they get a little bit of vapor lock. So with the rain, with the green vegetation, with targets being skylined or below the defilade or in the woods, you know, against the tree line and hidden in the tree line and all that stuff. I mean, we had a target that was in the trees behind a stump and it was a full-size ipsic. All you can see is the head and shoulder, you know. And when we got to, when I f- went there with Carl to set it up on Thursday, we couldn't see it. We actually put a piece of tape on a tree for reference and it was a mill up, mill over. But by the time I shot it, which was one of my last stages, on set on Sunday, everybody had shot the tree, the, the the stuff before it. So then you can see the outline of it. But with a full size ipsic behind a full stump in the tree line, you really need a scope that can um get through the shadows and the material. And and it's funny, I'm running the and, and I'm going to talk about it. My Vortex Gen Two Razor three to eighteen fell down a little bit. Um, I switched it over, which I was running the Night Force on the Tika. When I switched it in the Kdex chassis, the Kdex chassis matched the Vortex. It's meant that way. It's meant to, the browns are meant to match, right? So I said, when I'm setting it up for coming out here, I said, well, I took the Night Force off. It was a bigger scope, and I and, and part of it was on purpose because I the, the 3 to 18 is a little smaller, though I know it's heavy. But I shrunk it down because of carrying in to fit it in the Vorn pack. So I wanted a little shorter scope than the uh, three, uh, the 7 to 35. And when I got there, we were shooting with the kids on Thursday. Thursday, we shot with the kids. And um, I'm a half mil to the left. I'm like, what the hell? Like, we had wind coming. And from the, you know, I had to hold the wrong direction in the wind with them. So then Friday, I went to the train up thing we had. I zeroed it. And sure enough, I was a half mil off to the left on my zero. And they're like, you know, Carl, I was talking to him. I'm like, they said, well, you, you were in the airplane. And uh, let me tell you what, my scopes never shift on an airplane. I don't have it. I usually, I don't re-zero when I go to a match, but I had to, and I was off. So I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Well, then Sunday, I got to about stage four or five and it went left again and it screwed me up. And then it was throwing around. Like high left, it would hit, and then high left, and it would hit. Then it would go high left, high left, and I'm like, whoa, man. So I got up, you know, 5 o'clock on on Sunday morning, and at 6.30 on Sunday, I went to the range and was there before really anybody and set up a paper and re-zeroed, and it was off again. And so this time what I did is I didn't re-zero it. Like on Friday when I re-zeroed it, I re-zeroed it with the screw in the turret. You know what I mean? So I, I loosened the screws 
and I used the center screw. Well, then on Sunday, I just dialed it and locked it, and it seemed to hold. So I don't know what happened, how, what, if I should be blaming the scope 100%, but it was clearly off. So Saturday, I had a half mil left dope issue with, you know, 360 degrees of wind. And and that didn't really help my cause out much. But then Sunday, Sunday I re-zeroed and it was fine. But um, I should have left the dang night force on in a lot of ways. Now that in hindsight, you know, don't don't change your equipment. Stick with what works and, and don't get fancy and creative. I did it all to match the rifle. It was it was completely a vanity thing in all this. Now I didn't think that I had no clue that that three to eighteen was off. Um, I'd used it on the mousing field and took it off, but I didn't realize that it was not working. And and that really, really bit me in the butt for Saturday to kind of work through. And it's, you know, Pete and everything were there. We, we had a stage that was spotting me and there was a stage, there was like these 300 yard targets again, really small. And it was nowhere near them. And I had Pete spotting for me. And I had a whole right edge for these plates and stuff. And then it would, I'd get a hit and like my second shot would go like high left. Then I'd get the hit. So I'd get like my first round hit. I'd miss my second round. And then I'd maybe get the third round one point hit or it would miss two. Cause you know, the bitch was, I couldn't correct off of that variation. So sometimes even when the wind did bite me, I wasn't correcting because was it the scope in the rifle or was it the wind? And because I knew the scope and the rifle were off, if it went in that same direction, I ignored it. And that that would get me every now and then. So, oh, having a cup of coffee. So anyway, it, it was definitely, you know, the better data you have, tighten your equipment, my my. My numbers were flawless. The the god oh, and it, it, I'm I know it was Luke's partner. I can't think of your name, dude. I'm sorry I messed your name up. He had a uh, the new green color, the elite green or whatever they call it, AX, and he had the left hand gain twist from mile high too. The Bartland left hand gain twist in his AXMC shot fantastic all weekend. They were right up there in the running for the top five. I think they were. Uh, he sees a difference, and twice he came up to me and said, you know what, dude, I heard you talking about left-hand gain twist, Mile High had it, I ordered it for my AX, I'm shooting it at this match, I can see the difference, I can see what's going on here, I could feel it, I could see it, <laughs> this freaking pain in the ass, man, okay, I'm gonna go a little off of the comp. So I get in, when I just show up to Washington, I got this guy who goes on my YouTube channel and writes books. So this guy's telling me in the left-hand gain twist posts that I made on YouTube that I'm full of shit. I don't know what I'm talking about. This is a bunch of crap. This is the same guy that told me in the Mills versus MOA video that I did that it's a two MOA difference between dialing a mill and dialing an MOA. Yeah, if you're dialing a full mill, but we're doing tense. So this guy told me I was his dumbass and didn't know. And he can see the difference between a mill scope and an MOA scope because a mill is 3.6 inches and a MOA is only one. So he sees a difference. Well, then he tries to tell me that the, I'm full of shit and don't know what I'm talking about. And, you know, what a lame so-called gun expert I am 
And then when I came back and said, dude, you don't know, you know, whatever. He goes, let me tell you something, chief. He calls me chief. Let me tell you something, chief. I've been a diesel mechanic for 25 years. I think I know about torque. And you don't know what you're talking about. That's torquing the rifle, the equal and opposite, and doing this and doing that. Blah, 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 blah. And, and it, I was just laughing. And at that point, I'm like, you got me beat, dude. 25-year diesel mechanic. Gee, I only graduated sniper school in 86. So, yeah, I'm, 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 a, I'm a fairly recent gun expert on the internet. And, and so I kind of let it go at that. Although he hasn't come back since I posted that. But he writes these books. He probably writes like six paragraphs on YouTube to tell me how wrong I am because he's a diesel mechanic. And then my question is, have you ever shot it? And, of course, he won't respond to that. Instead, he talks. He tries to tell me about his diesel engines and how his diesel engine does one thing. And it's the same as what my rifle is doing. So that's the kind of geniuses I have to deal with out there is the, is these friggin' idiots arguing with me on YouTube and the Internet that things we're using in the real world and under practical conditions and we see a result. You know, versus the guy who's telling us. But, um, yeah, he had the Bartlin left-hand gain twist on his AX. He he was crowing. And I'm so glad to hear that, man. I saw it. When I was dialed in on Sunday, it was it was dead money for me. I, I had really good stuff. I mean, my data was spot on. I was trued up well. I upped the BC a little bit. Um, with, the, um, with the factory prime, I was at point, uh, three. Uh, G7. I brought my muzzle velocity, just had to adjust it just a little bit. I had no issues with my data um, w- with that. And, and again, pairing up even with the Vectronics had no issues that way. So having good data, trusting in your data, using it. Don't try to get creative before a match. Don't do things to make yourself look like I did. It was a vanity thing, swapping the thing. The Kdex chassis worked great for all the positions. I used the pick rail. There's that little piece on the Kdex chassis. Right at the balance point, there's about an inch long, inch and a half long pick rail that's mounted there. That went right onto the Anvil 30. I didn't have any Arca, any really right stuff dovetails on my rifle. I had the 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 um the Falcon bipod, the Falcon light bipod, I used Kdex's bipod. I really liked it. It worked well. I had no issues with uh, stability, deployment. Uh, it has a wider stance. It's kind of like the cowl, a little wide. It's light, and it has like a recoil lug in it. I like the, the Kdex Falcon light bipod. Uh, it's a big difference between the original Falcon, and, and it works for what we do. The original Falcon doesn't really work as well unless you're shooting like 338 you're shooting prone, long range, a little bit different like that. But when you're moving around, <laughs> for us though, the first day, that damn bipod only held the rifle up off the ground. We didn't use it once until the that stage like 8, 9, and 10 or something. But Falcon bipod worked great. I, I used that anvil and I just used that balance point pick rail. Worked perfect. Didn't have to add extra stuff. I was able to use the Kdex chassis right out of the box. Didn't have to add a um like a hard gear rail to it or anything like that. I just used that little inch and a half pick rail and I was done. And it drops right in. 
secures and locks up perfectly well and and it was able to use that anvil 30 exactly like I needed to so um big props to the Kdex chassis that way in the Tika the Tika rifle ran flawless the Bartland gain twist barrel ran flawless my prime ammo was perfect um although I was short and that's why I shot Pete's thing I was short one stage I had uh, and and that's because I shot with the kids I actually brought enough rounds, but I shot on Thursday with the kids. And then when I had to re-zero and fix my rifle dope the two times, I ended up being short. I would have been like dead on, but it shorted me 12 rounds in the match, having to re-zero twice. And so that's something to think about. Now here, I'm going to get back to like Chris listening. I was shooting 260 prime. Nobody had 260. Chris was like, gee, I thought I heard somebody on a podcast say you should carry what you know what you can find easily when you travel and you go to these places. Everybody was offering me 6.5 Creedmoor Prime. There was a ton of Prime on the line. Eric was shooting Prime. Kevin was shooting Prime. I had it right behind me. Cases of Prime everywhere. I could have went across the street to this gun store and got 6.5 Creedmoor. I had 260. Nobody had 260. I was not able to get those um what do you call it stop texting me you hear that i'm getting beat up text wise um so i was not able to get uh 260 ammo so what i did is i just shot pete's rifle on the last stage so i was uh short 12 rounds and that's because i was shooting 260 i mean i like it i'm a 260 fan but unless you bring extra extra and i did i brought I brought um, 40 rounds extra, but ended up using them, like I said, shooting with the kids on Thursday and then re-zeroing twice. Went through those 40 rounds, and that second zero didn't do me any favors and screwed me up, you know? And and I would have only been probably, I think I did six rounds to re-zero it, maybe nine. So that shorted me what I needed to do. So think about that when you travel and go somewhere, you know, don't do as I say, not what I do, because I make the mistakes, so you don't have to, you know, but, um, yeah, so it was, uh, it was definitely a case of, um, you know, all the things I've said, like, don't do, switching equipment, uh, bringing something nobody else has, and doing things like that, it, both those things came back and bit me relying on electronics uh finding that they were too slow and and it's funny when i have them you know like i said having all of them on the line i, I did record some good data and and we we're gonna go over that when we come up but i wanted to get this out because i know we're behind and you guys are dying for a wrap-up but man what a great match thank you uh everybody i'm gonna i have to do the sponsors i gotta get on the computer and work man we got codes, uh, like I said, prime ammo codes, SHTC18, good for the 30th. I just got a code from Pinnacle. Um, it's like Sniper's Hide TC something 18. So I got a scope code for uh, if you guys want a lower cost scope. And then um, I'm getting text from Surge here. The Able Table, man. Oh, oh yeah, it's a code. Uh, updated to accept the code Able Table. Guys, go check this out. It's called Able, A-B-E-L, Table, and it's Able, here's the website, A-B-E-L-C-O-U-S-A.com, 
Able Company. It would be ablecousa.com, the Able Table. We all laughed when we saw the tables they were putting on the tripod. This is not them. Skeletonized M-Lock, threaded, flush cup, mount your spotter, your Kestrel, your laser, flip it over, flip it the other way. George sat on it, ate on it, did all this stuff. The Able Table Code, SHC, Sniper's Hide Cup Team Challenge. He's got SHCTC 2018X, little X. So all capital, SHC. Oh, I just moved the thing on you guys. Sorry about that. Uh, so it's capital SHCTC 2018 lowercase x. You can get the able cable and you and you'll be able to get that um so it's it's a code man. Able A B E L table. Wow. I took I took George's back with me, man. I'm I'm going to post pictures and talk about that able table. I'm going to bring it to Alaska. It's going to Alaska with me because it's that good. The able table is, I mean, when you look at this silly diamond cut and those ones that look like, you know, chest plates and things that guys, I saw guys, you know, do stuff. That's ghetto compared to this able table. This able table is light, skeletonized, one piece, dovetailed, mounted. It, It was like, boom, now that works. Now that's a good product. And so I'm definitely into it. So thanks, Surgeon George, for turning me on to the Able Table. Huge fan and, and, and going to be talking about it a lot. And I'm going to use it, like I said, as a single solution mount because it's just that good. Uh, so anyway, like I said, I got to catch up. I just got back to all this email, all this stuff. And, and I'm going to be, um, you know, talking about this. I'm going to do this every day. So expect to have all of them until I leave on Thursday. And then when I get up there Thursday, I'll do podcast with Mark and those guys. So we'll be in Alaska for eight days in doing that class. But um, thank you, Carl. Thank you, all the competitors. Thank you, range officers. What a great crew of range officers they have up there in Colville. Um, Carl has such a great team. Dallas and his family, everything they do. Thank you to Dallas and his crew for managing them. He was kind of like the the master RO. And, and did everything for everybody, ran around. It ran really well. Hardly any downtime, if at all. I mean, there was a couple stages that stacked because of cows or mover broke. We had a mover break like three times and we had to fix it. And finally, it's funny, duct tape fixed it, you know. But um, that, that, that was it. Like two stages slowed down, you know, 15 minutes by a, what I'm talking like and by slow down. It wasn't like hours. Uh, you know, we got there on Sunday and we were done by 2 o'clock, 2.30 on Sunday. And so that, that was all really good. But thank you, those guys. Sponsors, I'm going to get everything up. I got a lot of codes, a lot of stuff. Thanks to SIG. Thanks to the Leopold guys that came and put a ton on the prize table. Both SIG and Leopold are local and put just, you know, huge freaking three feet big boxes of prizes and certificates on the table. Thanks to Chaz for coming with the Warhorse um, stuff. The uh, the Saracen bags and the Comanche. That little Comanche is awesome. And then he did a, a low light in the um like uh he, he did me a sniper gray one with the the logo the sniper uh, the sniper association logo and it says low light. 
You don't need these big, big bags like those game changers. They're great and they work. He shrunk this one down. You know, um, Bayless and all those guys, his w- w- Warhorse works great without having to carry. I threw it in my luggage. My luggage was at 50.5 pounds, okay? And I threw it in there and my luggage was 52 pounds. And now I took, there was three, four boxes of ammo that came out. And so there, whatever four boxes of ammo weigh, that get brought me to 50.5. Then I took those four boxes out and put this little Saracen Comanche in there. I think that's what he's calling it, the Comanche. The little bag. The War Horse uh, little bag. And it brought it to 52 pounds. So... It wasn't too heavy to carry. I had all my equipment going back. It was 52 pounds with packs, laser. Oh, I put everything pretty much in my bag when I left. Like I had stuff spread out a little bit better um, when, when, when I came out because I was right on the edge of the weight there. But when I left, I just threw everything in and said, I'm just going to go overweight anyway because Chaz gave me the bag. But it was only 52 pounds and then... um. Because I, I was, I was, you know, per, Premier Access, they didn't even charge me overweight bag fee because it was 52. So she didn't charge me for that because it was just, you know, you're going to Premier Access. She, they're like, yeah, okay, you're, you're fine. You, you know, you pay too much for your seat anyway. Here's here's two pounds. Um, So that worked out great. Too. So thank you guys. MDT put a bunch of uh, magazines and stuff. Flatline Optics came and put a bunch of stuff. There was... Uh, gray bow or not gray bow but um the grs from joe put stuff there's a code for the box to bench targets if you guys want any of the targets from box to bench i'll have a code for that so there, there there's those kind of codes going out there but i'm gonna post them on sniper's hide in the next 12 hours or so so you'll have all kinds of discount codes and things um to use and anybody listening can use the code you did not have to shoot the match to use these codes that's the beauty in the key the match is the catalyst to give you the code but you all get to use the code helps them helps us helps you right think about it instead of being a hater haterade anyway i'm gonna jump off i'm gonna get this edited up and over to you guys Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you to the junior shooters, man. You guys are so much fun and so awesome. Uh, that that junior team and Travis with them and everybody and their families that come out. Uh, huge support for the junior teams. We I really, really dig on them. And then again, back to Carl and In Motion Target uh, in, in the ROs and everybody who showed up. The Canadians there. Um, Philip from Vectronics uh, for coming out. Gave away a Terrapin X. Oh, uh, those guys. So, um, definitely, definitely some good stuff. All righty. Have a great one and I'll talk to you tomorrow.